Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves. And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuiper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. Two years goes by in the blink of an eye when you're in the military, and garrison commanders rotate that often. And believe it or not, it's been two years since Colonel Eric Sprague, his wife Heather, and their children came to Fort Meade. So you know what that means. Time for a new commander. (laughs) But we can't let Colonel Sprague and Heather leave without sitting down to talk about their time here at the fort. And it's been an eventful 24 months, to say the least. Colonel Sprague, Heather, thank you for hanging out with us today. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. This is the first time I get my wife on a uh, podcast, so this will be, uh, this will be interesting. <laughs> Going to air all my dirty laundry. Hey, this, <laughs> that's right. This is a first for us, too, so this all will right. be fun. Fill in all the secrets, Heather. Yeah. That's what you're here <laughs> for today. Was being the garrison commander everything that you expected it to be, Colonel Sprague? Um, so when I got selected to be the garrison commander at Fort Meade, I had no idea what to expect. Um, 20, at that point, 23 years in the military as a military intelligence officer the entire time, I felt comfortable doing analytical work. I felt, um, comfortable doing counterterrorism, counterinsurgency work, um, and, and leading formations. Um, so garrison was kind of a, it was a surprise, um, to say the <laughs> least, and I kept telling myself, well, command's command. Um, but it, it has been a very uh, eye-opening, to say the least. I think your first week was a surprise. Yeah, so <laughs> it's day three on uh, day three in command. Um, we were supposed to do our annual um, National Night Out, which is a national um, holiday to basically recognize first responders. Right. And it's always been a big deal here at Fort Meade. So just to kind of put a picture in people's uh, heads to explain the story. So starting early, it was a, that was a, it was a Monday. So starting Monday morning, um, our Directorate of Emergency Services, so all of our MPs and all of our EMS folks and all of our fire departments were staging their equipment out on the field because it's supposed to be static displays, fire engines, trucks. Uh, our emergency services had the beast out there, which is this great big, huge monstrosity of a command control center. NSA had their security out there. Um, a bunch of donors were setting up their tents um, because they're also combining, um, handing out backpacks ahead of school. So all day long, people were setting up. And at about, and it's supposed to start at, I think, 5.30, 17.30. So right at about, 1630, 1645, this freak storm just popped up out of nowhere. I mean, it was hot and sunny like today. Yep. And this storm just came on in an instant. And it lightning and raining sideways. It was dark out. And it lasted for about maybe 20 minutes and then it, it cleared up. Yep. But I have a um I've got a two-way radio on my desk that I, that I can monitor our first responders. And I heard something about a lightning strike. So Sergeant Major Colin and I at the time, we, we walked out to the parade field. We met up with uh, Mr. Bob Holmes, or Robert Holmes, and he said, hey, look, I think we probably ought to postpone this event tonight. And I said, it was a great idea. Um, but if you think of all those people that are out in the field and all the tents that were set up and all the displays, 
with a, a storm that came rolling through, so it blew tents over, and mm-hmm. a lot of people are trying to take tents down. So there were things scattered on the field. Um, what had happened was there was a, a lightning strike about a quarter mile away, and there was some residual effect. So in that residual effect impacted people that were trying to hide under the metal, under the canopies to get away from the rain. Yep. So you had the enlisted spouses club um, huddle under one tent and a couple of the um, spouses were holding onto the metal um, framework of, the, of that canopy. So they got a tingle. And there was a guy on the other side, one of my employees on the other side of the field, uh, they got something very similar. So we had all the first responders out on the field anyway, right? So, yeah. you know, the firemen went up and they took care of all of the uh, spouses. And yeah, no one was um, no one was harmed. As a matter of fact, it was kind of funny walking up to a bunch of ladies sitting down, just big eyes looking at the firemen. So that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, but we said, okay, we're going to cancel it. So, again, three days in command. I've got a my government cell phone and I've got like, basically two names under my contacts, right? <laughs> one was uh, Maria Ove, who was the uh, chief of staff for IDS, and the other one, thank God, was General Howard. So I called General Howard up. I'm like, hey, sir, uh, freak storm came up. We're going to cancel National Night Out. And he said, okay, hey, no problem. As I, as I hung up the phone, got in my car, and I was heading back to my residence, I, I noticed helicopters flying <laughs> around the field. This is the good part. Yeah. So I call up public affairs. So Mary Doyle was um, basically on call that night. I'm like, Mary, I I see helicopters flying around overhead. Is that anything to be alarmed about? She said no, because part of National Night Out was supposed to be a um, helicopters flying in as part of the static display. Okay, no problem. (laughs) Well, a couple, well, within moments, Mary calls me back and says, oh, this is not good. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, those helicopters are not from Anne Arundel. It's, Max, it's actually Fox uh, 5 out of Baltimore uh, reporting on the lightning strike. <laughs> lightning strike? So through uh, Bearcat scanners, you have some people on the outside of the, uh, of the fence line that kind of monitor traffic just to kind of see what's going on here in the installation. And this gentleman picked up lightning strike and casualties. They notified the news. The news is, now picture this, a helicopter is flying over McLaughlin Parade Field with nothing but fire engines, ambulances, police cars. Tents strewn other, everywhere. Tents strewn everywhere. <laughs> it looks a little chaotic. So, um, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a very interesting night. But that was, uh, that was day three on, uh, in command. And then I would say, you know, about, what, nine months later, uh, February 14th, 2019. Most people consider that uh, Valentine's Day. And I didn't forget, by the way. But um, <laughs> but that's the day that uh, I had some uh, I had some VIP guests. So that would be the Secretary of the Army, the Chief of Staff of the Army, Sergeant Major of the Army, and just about every general officer in between. And that was here at the basically uh, ground zero is the housing crisis. So do they teach you how to deal with housing crises in um, in the military, no. This is something that you just kind of react to. Um, and then, then obviously, a few months ago, we got hit by COVID. So, is it everything I expected it to be? No. <laughs> I was not expecting any of this. I was expecting to hand out coins and pet little kids on the heads, right? You did um, get to do some of that. I did get to do some of that. But I, I, I tell you what, um, this t- it took me out of my comfort zone. I, I, 
I would be much more comfortable in an MI brigade. Um, but this gave me some uh, experiences that I will take with me the rest of my life. And uh, who knows down the road, there's always life afterwards. And I'm essentially a mayor here. Right? <laughs> well, it's definitely got you prepared for the job. Yeah. I, mean, I, w- I was going to say, the way you handled both the housing crisis and the COVID response, and I wasn't here for the lightning strike, um, which is a good thing, because that would probably have been my luck. I would have been holding on to one of the tents <laughs> or something, uh, breaking down or setting up. But from having having experienced leaders in other organizations having responded to crises in that location, you know, for numerous reasons, you handled the COVID and the housing stuff really well from like a junior enlisted kind of standpoint, you know, back when I, that's what I was doing. I like, I, I love to see what you've done with social media, doing the live uh, town halls and everything. You know, I'm, I'm part of it. So, but it's been great to see that. And the, the community response has been really good too, because we've seen a lot of the positive feedback from that. And, you know, we always get the negative, but that's just because, you know, people are afraid and they're worried about stuff. But you've handled that really well. So, I mean, maybe the lightning strike into the housing, into COVID prepared <laughs> you for the, for the whole COVID thing, but you handled it really well. Well, so. it, it's all about listening to people, right? And yeah. then ha- having empathy for, yeah. for what's going on. You just can't dismiss everything. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons learned that came out of the, um, the housing crisis was that people have legitimate complaints. They have legitimate concerns. Yeah. Um, now, I'll never say that it's all, I'm only talking for me, so I'm not going to sit there and, and put the blame solely on Corbius. It's, it's the leadership at, at the unit level, leadership not being involved like they're supposed to be, and even at the garrison level, right? So we're culpable in all this um, as well. But I think we, uh, we teamed up pretty well. We pushed that noodle forward. We're in a much better spot than we were, uh, but we still got a long way to go. Yeah. And it's not going to change overnight. It takes teamwork. Yep. Yeah. So how was, how was your relationship with the major tenant partners uh, here? Like, was it helpful or hindering in any way? Who are they? The, oh, yeah, those guys. Those guys. You should have saw my face right now. I was like, huh? I could, I could hear your face, Joe. I could hear the look on your face. No, the, uh, the tenant commanders have been great across the board. So, I mean, we work hand-in-hand with NSA, NSA's installation and logistics. So that really has to do with, like, big project-type stuff. But um, this, has been a, this has been a relationship that has, was degraded over time um, that brought back, and I, and I think a lot of that has to do with the right people being at the right place at the right time. You know, General Nakasone being an Army uh, combatant commander living here on the post who's been here for many tours, right? So he's seen, like Barracks, for instance, he's seen how Barracks, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed in 20 years other than the fact that we've grown in terms of our population, right? So having him here, understanding the kind of the historical context, and then putting his rank uh, and his leadership behind, you know, getting these big dollar projects moving. So that's been great. Um, been a fabulous relationship with um, with INL. So that was both Mr. Taflin and now Randy Westfall. Um, great to work with. Um, and then, of course, you got all of the mission partners here. So, you know, um, Asymmetric Warfare Group, Scott Shaw and Brian Disk and that command team, fabulous organization. 
um, all the INSCOM units. So Heidi Urban, uh, Brian Vile, Jay Haley, and now we, we have a change of the guard, right? So we got Galen Kane in now at the 704th. We've got Matt Lennox over at the uh, 780th, and then Maria Bourbon's going to replace um, um, Jay Haley here pretty soon. So then I've got the uh, the joint um, the, the sister services here as well. So Joe Sears and uh, Master Chief Petty Officer Keller, great uh, phenomenal command team at uh, CWG six, and then of course Brian Tyler and Jeremiah Ross over at the um, 70th ISR, and then of course Jim Keane uh, from the the U.S. Army Field Band and uh, Jamie Burke now Tracy Michael at CAC. It's been great. Um, it's been great to work with them because they're always willing to help. Um, it, it's not there. These are not units that are waiting for something bad to happen before they'll respond. It's typically calling me up and saying, hey, do you need help in this area? Or, um, hey, I, I've got people still waiting access to get down to NSA campus. Do you have anything they can do for you? So, I mean, it's just it's been phenomenal. As a garrison commander, though, you're not only talking to service members, but you're also talking to their spouses and families, especially through the housing crisis and pandemic. I don't know if that's typical normally of, of your leadership up until this point, but how has knowing that you have to talk to them as well influenced your time here at Fort Meade? Well, I had to influence my time other than I have to make more time for it, and I actually have to prepare for it now. Um, and I have to check myself. So how I, <laughs> how I talk with spouses and children and retirees is much different than how I would talk to uh, soldiers back in the day. But I think that's partly because I growed up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing, it, it, when dealing with him, when we talked about empathy earlier, um, so my, my best friend, my wife sitting right here next to me, um, she's the one that's at home and she's reading social media and Facebook paste. And I get texts from her at least every day saying, I can't believe you're allowing this to happen still. <laughs> or what are you going to do about this right here? So she really keeps me in check, but she's also another set of eyes that I otherwise would not have. Yeah. Um, which allows us then to hopefully um, get ahead of a problem or mm -hmm. an issue. And Mrs. Sprague, that was the next thing I was going to ask you is how, how do you see yourself playing a role? So clearly you text him. And keep him in check. But why do you take on that role as a spouse? So I take on the role because I empathize with all the families on this post. Um, families come first. And I think that you have to have good listening ears and good eyes to see what's going on that our military spouses may not necessarily see. Um, and report those things um, so that everyone is treated fairly and um, we can all grow as a community. Yeah, she also keeps me in check. So yes. she, she doesn't <laughs> like when people uh, badmouth me. She gets to badmouth me, but she doesn't like it. <laughs> you know, Heather, it's a good thing you guys are leaving in a few days because I think your phone and your Instagram or your Facebook I'll, will be blowing up. Everybody will be like, oh, wait a minute. Let me tell her about this. Um, yeah. I plan on deleting uh, my uh, social media um, <laughs> um, probably when I leave here. Just start fresh and start fresh yeah. <laughs> Unplug. understandable, understandable. Yeah. I, I i wish i could but it's literally part of my job yes. so I, yes. I don't get that luxury that often but just kind of sticking with with your role as a spouse commander spouses are often looked up to 
um, by the other spouses um, in the units or the commander, what have you. How have you embraced that leadership role? You might have not been looking for it, but it was kind right. of given to you. Um, I tried, like I said, to keep my eyes and ears open, um, to listen, to talk to people, um, to go to things that I felt that the community needed. And um, you have to be a good listener to know what that what the community needed. And um, I tried to go to housing meetings. I tried to go to education meetings because I think, again, that families are first and those two are the most important things that we can bring to make people feel safe at Fort Meade. Yeah, she's selling herself short. So she was also the advisor to some of the, uh, these clubs around here. She's also a huge um, supporter and volunteer for the agent shopping program at the commissary. So, you know, she, she never signed up for this job. It, it she just it was thrown at her when I, when I took command, but she's, uh, she's been an absolute champ about it the entire time. You've embraced it well. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. This, and this one's for the, for the both of you. Um, and I, because I kind of work in social media and the website and stuff like that. So this is kind of the direction I'm coming from. <laughs> what has been the most challenging thing about working here at Fort Meade? The most challenging thing about working at Fort Meade. The most challenging thing about working <laughs> at Fort Meade. I feel like you're just thinking about how I, you want to say I, this I out am, loud. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you're coming from like a social media angle, but I'll tell you the toughest thing about commanding here at Fort Meade is just trying to stay on top of so many completely different divergent things all at one time. You know, uh, this morning um, I, I was dealing with a collapsed tree that fell on three vehicles. Um, this afternoon I'm talking housing um, and then tomorrow I got to prepare for uh, talk about a funding project for um, barracks. So just trying to stay on top of all of this stuff and then making sure that I have uh, time to prepare for all this stuff, which drives you guys crazy. <laughs> no, uh, because everybody all. knows I want the, uh, I always want my prep sessions. But it's, it's really trying to give enough attention, sufficient time and energy to everything that's going on. You know, so the, the directors and the directorates all work in very important stuff. And that important stuff are my priorities that they are trying to get after. So when they put a lot of time and effort into, into preparing something, um, I owe them enough time to sit down, hear them out, and then either say yes or no or give additional guidance. Um, but but that is, that is kind of tough, yeah. just trying to stay on top of things. Because you've already said that you get some, you know, so you, you see what's happening on social media, you, you're tuned in to what the community is saying. My question is, how do you navigate that as, as the commander's spouse? Um, some day, days it's difficult, mm -hmm. um, especially when I try to respond on social media and they block my response. Um, <laughs> That's always a challenge. Um, <laughs> or I tell her, don't write that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is. Sometimes you have to bite your tongue, especially when I know that um, Eric, my husband's uh, whole intent is to uh, take care of the families and people will bad mouth of certain course, situations. Yeah. Um, but I, I try to notify him through my navigations of what I think, like he said, is, needs to be taken care of. Um, 
that he may be unaware of. Um, I try not to respond so much on social media. Mm -hmm. I just try to take it as um, information. It's my eyes. Um, sometimes I have reached out to people, especially about education, um, and given them my phone number and had me call me, had them call me. Um, that to me, it's not the social media that is the big uh, challenge at Fort Meade. It's the schools. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't picked up on it, Heather's an educator, yes. right? Yeah. And she's used education in schools about like ten times now. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, why? Why is the schools? Why do you think that's the biggest challenge here? Um, I think that um, our military kids move every two years. Um, they not only have the moving, the situations that come with just moving and making new friends, um, they are entering into the middle school and high school here in particular. Um, what is uh, something for both of you, what is something that surprised you about your time at Fort Meade? Could be good or bad. Something that really surprised you. Well, we've already talked about how, how quickly it goes, but I think that's regardless if you're a commander or not, those times go by well. Um, what's really surprised me is the uh, level of community involvement. So, you know, you, not being a garrison commander, n never doing this before, and then you come here and you're a garrison commander and you're trying to figure out what PIO is, what PAO is, what DBTMS is, and all this other stuff. You think that you're making all the decisions and decisions stay only on base. What we failed to realize, or what it took a while for me to, to realize, was decisions that I make on base also affect the community. Anne Arundel County, Howard County, um, to, you know, where most of our workforce live. So, for instance, I want to close down an ACP because uh, I want to I do some or random anti-terrorism uh, measures, right? That sounds great, and we're supposed to do that. That's, that's how you check your physical security systems. But that decision right there, what does that do? Well, that causes backups on 175. Yep, so that is traffic. now um, safety. Um, that could also be security because it's taking our national security, our intelligence professionals, additional time to get from their home to their place of work where they're basically executing their mission every day. So that, that's an example of, of what I mean, that uh, decisions don't just stay here on post. They they go outside the fence line. So the level of community interest and support has been absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, Stuart Pittman is the uh, county executive, Dr. Ball from, from um, Howard County, our Fort Meade Alliance, uh, Fort Meade Alliance Foundation, the Community Covenant, Central Maryland, the BWI, all of these folks are really banding together because they understand the, the importance and strategic importance of, of Fort Meade. And they are willing to go to bat for us and help us however we want to. So that's been, um, that, that was a surprise, just that level of, uh, of engagement. And it's also pretty cool too, right? Because not too often you get to sit down and, you know, have a, uh, just a one-on-one -on -one with congressmen. No, you don't. That's, that's pretty true. cool. Yeah. So when you're not garrison commander anymore, do you think you would still recommend people to live here at Fort Meade? I, I look. I would always. <laughs> that's a loaded <laughs> question. All right. So um, this Fort Meade now has has my DNA in it. Um, 
Now, I haven't done everything perfectly as a garrison commander, and I'll freely admit that, but um, it's not for a lack of not trying to do the right thing. So, yes, I would always recommend people come here. And there's an old saying that uh, an assignment is what you make of it. If you want it to be a bad experience, it's going to be a bad experience. If you want to make it a good experience, it's going to be a great experience. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of this area, um, but you've got Annapolis right down the road. You've got Baltimore right up the road. You've got Philly right up the road. You've got New York right up the road. You've got D.C. So anything that you could possibly want to do is within driving distance of here. Um, despite the uh, pandemic. But there are some things that we need to do. And then if I was staying here another year, or what I'll pass on to my uh, successor, uh, Colonel Chris Nyland, is what, what do you need to do to make Fort Meade an installation of choice? For people that want to fight to come here, uh, and for me it kind of boils down to three things. Uh, the first, and what what's Heather's already hit on, is education. And I say education is important because anytime someone gets an RFO and PCSing to another location, the first thing, especially if they have children, they're going to look and see what the schools are like. Yep. And if the schools, uh, just a quick glance at, at Google, right? Mm -hmm. And if the schools don't have a lot of stars, they're not going to move there. They're going to move somewhere else. Uh, so, so the schools uh, and education. The second thing would be housing. And it's not just housing for our residents, but it's also the barracks for our unaccompanied junior enlisted. Um, we are living, some of our sailors and airmen are living in barracks that were built in the 1950s, and they've been patched over time, but they're not sufficient. And these great Americans, they don't deserve to live in that. So they need updated, modernized uh, barracks. Barracks are very expensive, tune of about $81 million for uh, a building, right? But we're competing, we're competing for that money, and we're, we've been somewhat successful. So barracks is huge, and then obviously um, the housing here. So we continue to work with Corvius. Uh, we've got a good action plan going out ahead of us. Uh, Corvius is going to start here very soon, groundbreaking for 150 new townhomes. Um, and the cool thing about these townhomes, um, so of the 150 townhomes, 5% need to be ADA compliant. So it's not just taking you know, the engineer's blueprints. We actually had people uh, with disabilities sat down with the plan with them and talked them through the plan and they actually made suggestions. We need to nice. do this, this differently. Or why did you do this? Because if you have a wheelchair, you can't do that. So they're taking that into account when they're going to build these. So they'll build 150 new townhomes. They're going to build another 115 homes, I believe on the other side of uh, 175. So we're getting after that. But again, um, housing crisis did not occur overnight and it's not going to be solved overnight. It's going to take years in the making. So education, it's housing and barracks, and the last thing would be modernization. Um, this this uh, post was established in 1917. A lot of the, uh, lot of the buildings, especially on uh, Mead proper, were built in the 30s and the 40s. Yep. They've outlived their lifespan. They've got good bones, um, but the electric, the HVAC, and everything else is not sufficient for today. So we've really got to invest. Um, and, and modernize, but that, that's the other problem because um, I, I, don't, I don't have an ATM where wherever <laughs> I need money, I can withdraw money. 
I'm competing against every other military installation. So um, on average, I'll get about uh, eight to $10 million for um, sustainment and restoration. This is basically to patch buildings up, right? One building will cost me anywhere from 200 or uh, 2.5 to $5 million to fix it. So that's, that's fit on one building, that's 50% of my, of my bank account per year, which means then you have to compete against the other um, installations for uh, restoration and modernization projects or even new um, construction Milcon projects. It, it's, it's not easy to do, but uh, I will tell you, since uh, Installation Management Command has fallen under Army Materiel Command as of uh, May last year, they've really, um, they've really tightened their shot group. And it's a very good process now where they're making Army decisions um, at the right levels to fix the Army, uh, Army issues, not an installation specific. What is your favorite thing to do off post? Um, my Heather's favorite? Just, Heather's just looking for some fun outside of Fort Meade proper. Well, go to New York. But okay. that's not like right outside of Fort Meade proper. <laughs> I said off um, post, off um, post. I will say since COVID has happened, um, we have to be creative with what we do. Right. Yeah. Um, and we've tried to do hiking several times. There's a lot of beautiful areas around here um, to go hiking and spend more time outdoors so you don't spread the COVID. Um, <laughs> spread the COVID. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Do you? Yeah, I'd say hiking. Um, eating. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we, we love eating. So good to eat around here. I yeah. mean, seriously. Some great places to eat. Yeah. So Nick's Seafood, we were just talking about that there, and that's my favorite place because they got the world's best crab cakes. Okay. Um, oh. Old Stein Inn down in Edgewater. Boatyard? Boatyard okay. Grill in Annapolis right. for crab cakes. All right. Just to compare. Right. But, but, yeah. we did, but we did go to uh, what, Clarny House. Clarny House. That yep. was awesome. Old Stein, also good, as yep. you just said. And uh, Ram's Head Tavern. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this year with COVID, it's been a little bit different. So a lot of it is um, going up to the Patapsco State Park and walking around. Although the first time we did it, uh, we each had about a 12-ounce bottle of water. We thought we were just going <laughs> to go you're down. you going to say a 12-ounce bottle of wine. I was like, that's a lot for hiking. <laughs> so we, uh, we drove up there, and we just decided to, uh, to walk because we wanted to go see the waterfall. So we got on a trail, um, and we walked down. And it was like I, I thought the map said it was uh, 1.2 miles to get to the waterfall. So we were going to go down there. No, it was 0.2 miles to get down there. And then I saw another thing on the board that showed a 1.2-mile uh, loop. So I could, we'll just do the loop, right? Because a quarter mile, that's, that's too easy. <laughs> so seven and a half miles later. I was going to say, there's a lot of trail ooh, up there. Yeah, we, we, got, we got a little lost. Uh, we ran out of water. And phone. And phone. And we realized uh, where we parked because everybody was parked on the side of the street. And we just assumed that's where everybody parked. Yeah. So we finally walked past some people like, hey, where's the parking lot? They're like, well, which one? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, oh, so man. there's an actual parking lot, and we're like, no, that's not. It was on a road. Oh, no. And it's like, oh, yeah, just follow this for about another mile, then you'll see another brown sign that says 1.8 miles up to, up to that area. So we did that, and we came up on the road, but that section of the road is not where we parked. 
So then it was, do I go left or do I go right? We started left and uh, came back, and again, we're out of water. She's Heather's really kind of mad at me at that point. So I asked this other guy, I tried to get a landmark. I was like, look, man, I have no, I've never been here before. I, I parked on this road somewhere, and he's like, uh, was it by a white fence? And I was like, yeah. And he said, okay, it's down that way. So to my right, another about, mile. Uh, another mile. <laughs> How long did this hike end up being? Uh, it was an all day. So, so what's next for the both of you? So next is uh, after change of command, uh, we head down to Northern Virginia. So I'm going to go to Quantico and be the Army Chair for the uh, USMC War College. Um, and Heather's going to go down and be a teacher again. What grade do you teach? Um, I work with pre-K. They've, they've offered me a job with kindergarten now, but um, that's kind of my outlet out. And I was going to say that earlier for spouses that, that are um, looking to know what to do. Just make sure that you find a balance and do stuff that, um, that can make you happy. Um, and teaching pre-K makes me happy. So Awesome. And did you get to do any of that while you were yes, here? Yes, I did. Okay. I did. Um, I started uh, the first year I did not work. The second year, um, this past year, I did start working at St. Paul's Lutheran and um, nice. really enjoyed it. Awesome. So that's very cool. As a military spouse, it's hard to keep a job and keep it between different duty stations and things like that. So you've definitely found one that kind of transfers everywhere. It does. It does. And I can be home before my kids get home from school. And it just... It's amazing how important that is. Yeah. Yeah. That was always a big thing yeah. for me, too, is like, I'm home before my kid gets home, so it's fine. And, yeah. yeah. And that, that was all good. And then when she got older, then it was no big deal because she just wanted to play video games and right. avoid me anyway. Right. So it's fine. Yeah. Sir, do you know how to speak Marine? Are you going to be okay down there with all those Marines? No, I was hoping you'd give me some pointers on that. Um, well, I don't know. I'll, just I'll yell just, oorah a lot, yeah. and they'll be okay. I, I hear wearing that funny uniform. I hear, <laughs> I hear if when you attend the classes, you bring a box of crayons with you, you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. going to come for me now. <laughs> I wouldn't advise that, sir. Probably not, not the best advice you've ever got. They'll get a kick out of it. <laughs> That's a hell of a first impression. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready for the lightning round? Sure. Oh, okay. Like, it's like a game show. So, Colonel, I will just go down these ones, and you will answer them for Heather, and then, Joe, you'll go down them, and Heather will answer them for Colonel. Sounds good. All right. All right. So, answering for Heather. I haven't ready? seen these questions. This will be good. Okay. Oh, he's going to stumble. It's, it's <laughs> going to be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson? Trevor Lawrence. Favorite band? Um, Zach Brown. That right? Perfect. I can't tell uh, if that face is a face of like I can't just believe you keep said going. that. <laughs> Remember, you're answering for her. Favorite yeah. favorite Fort Meade memory. Uh, red, white, and blue. Ah, okay. okay. All right. Favorite local restaurant. Um. Nick's. Nick's. Okay. Face is great. Life lesson that Heather learned here at Fort Meade. <laughs> Life lesson. Uh, da, 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 uh, the significance of social media. Mm. <laughs> That's mm. a very important okay. life lesson. Heather's idea of a perfect date night. Um, 
hotel and dinner and a movie. All right. Okay. Cool milestone that Heather celebrated here in the past two years. <laughs> Me not getting fired. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Club wings or bowling alley wings? Oh, Ooh, come on, y'all. <laughs> Wait, Heather's eaten neither. Oh. Yeah, our son has. Um, and we'll unfortunately, Dom, sorry, but Steve got you, so the bowling alley. All right. <laughs> How did right. he do, Heather? Um, he did surprisingly well. So, oh. so are you ready? So you're answering these for Colonel. Now, now. you're answering. You're answering you, you for him. To, put the paper down. <laughs> All right. Shoot. I'll tell you. Okay. If she, I'll I'll beep in if she's wrong. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence <laughs> or Deshaun Watson? I'm gonna say Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Okay. Favorite band? Well, that could change, but I'm gonna say one of his favorite bands is Pink Floyd. There you go. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Colonel's favorite Fort Meade memory? Probably Red, White, and Blue. Okay. It's or a pretty it could fun be event. Housing Crisis the day they showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, favorite local restaurant? Nick's. Yeah, I think that one's pretty much the same across. Uh, life's, a life lesson the colonel learned here at Fort Meade? Patience. Mm. That's a good one. Which I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, sir, patience. I think you, you do pretty well. I've seen the town halls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the colonel's perfect date night. Well, for me, he answered a movie. I would say a hotel, a restaurant, and probably some, maybe if he could do an event like NASCAR or, you know, some sort of sporting event first, I think he would like that. Like okay. Monster Truck Rally. <laughs> All right. Monster Truck Rally. I can dig it. I haven't been to one of those in ages. A, a, a cool milestone that he celebrated in the past two years. He survived Fort Meade. <laughs> 25 years in the Army. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good milestone. Uh, and then, of course, the club wings or bowling alley Well, wings? he already answered that, and I, bowling. Bowling alley I wings. guess. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that wasn't so hard. That wasn't so hard. No, that wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah, favorite that was song. Really Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. It changed. Well, I know what yours is. It's that uh, goofy guy. <laughs> Uh, perfect, uh, perfect tonight. What, what is that song? It's perfect. Perfect by that guy. By some goofy guy. By some. It's Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Oh, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> yeah. Sheeran. Goofy, goofy guy. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I like a lot of songs. So. No, nah, that's the that's one that we're right. cooking chicken out on the back porch. That's the one she likes to play on Alexa and tries to make me dance every once in a while. <laughs> Well, the story behind that is, though, he and I have known each other since we were 16 and started dating at 18. So that song has a lot to do with young love and mm. moving forward. Oh, so, okay. Aww. That's sweet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so does Time by Pink Floyd. Yeah. Of course, that, they die in that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So what are your parting words for Fort Meade? Well, it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, it's been a great, it's been a great two years. I really enjoyed working with the people, and that's what I'm going to miss. People ask me, "What are you going to miss most about command?" It is working with the team. It's everything from PAO to PIO. It is everything from uh, childcare to the commissary. 
uh, from PX to access control points. I'm just, I'm really going to miss that in the, the interaction with, with everybody. Colonel Sprague's change of command ceremony will be on Tuesday, August 18th at 10 a.m. And we invite you all to join us virtually on the Fort Meade Facebook page. That's it for today's episode of Fort Meade Declassified. Connect with us on Digital Meade, the garrison's new home for news and events. You can find it on our website at home.army.mil forward slash Meade, where you can also find up-to-date information on COVID-19.